Hello, and welcome to another episode of Seeking First, a faith and finance podcast. I'm your hostess, Shayna Harvey, and today we are going to be talking about the rich young ruler uh, from Matthew 19. And I have a special guest here with me today, uh, Dr. Drick Boyd. Uh, say hello. Hello. <laughs> um, uh, Dr. Drick Boyd is joining me today. He is a professor at Eastern University in Urban and Interdisciplinary Studies, uh, where he's been since 1997. Prior to that, he worked as an urban youth worker, uh, an American Baptist pastor for 21 years. Is that right? Um, and now he's a professor of urban studies. Uh, he focuses mainly on urban theology, race and ethnic relations, leadership, social activism, and popular education. Uh, he attends the West Philadelphia Mennonite Church uh, right here in Philadelphia. He's also a member of the Education Task Force for Power, which stands for Philadelphians Organized to Witness, Empower, and Rebuild, um, and also an organization called New Corps, New Conversations for Race, race and Ethnicity. Uh, he's also a founding member and regular participant in Heeding God's Call. Um, he, for fun, likes to uh, ride his bike, go to the movies and to the theater. Uh, he is married and has three adult children. So welcome, Drick. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, I was actually, uh, I met Drick as, as a professor at Eastern University where he uh, was my professor. So um, he taught me a lot of things. And so I figured he might be a great person to uh, bring to the table here today. Uh, and he actually requested this particular topic. Um, so I look forward to what he has to say, because it probably means he's thought a lot about it <laughs> and considered it. So um, without further ado, let's get into the text for today. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to begin at verse 16. And I'm going to go ahead and read from the message version which is a paraphrased version of scripture, but it's easy to understand. And forgive me for those who are purists and don't like uh, paraphrased versions, but turn with me to Matthew 19, chapter 16, to read about the rich young ruler. Okay, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Another day, a man stopped Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who's good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. The man asked, what in particular? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. The young man said, I've done all of that. What's left? If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, Go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let go. As he watched them go, Jesus told his disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were staggered. 
then who has any chance at all? Jesus looked hard at them and said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. There we have it. Matthew 19, the rich young ruler. So, Drick, what do you observe in this text? What do you see and what stands out to you? Well, let me highlight three things that mm -hmm. jump out at me in this text. The first is the man's question, the young man's question to Jesus. And I think, actually, Jesus is messing with him a little bit in the <laughs> beginning of this passage. Yeah. Uh, he says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Mm -hmm. I get, I'm guessing, given by what the young man said a little bit later about all the, the commandments that he had followed, that he was somewhat literate in the, the Hebrew Bible, mm -hmm. what we know as the Old Testament. And if he was literate in the Hebrew Bible, he knew that the rich did not get a good report mm. that very often wealth and wickedness, wealth and injustice were often seen together, particularly in the prophets. Mm. And, and so I'm guessing that he's grappling with how do I stay rich? and still do what God wants to do. Mm -hmm. And I think Jesus messes with him. When I say Jesus messes with him, he says, well, what do you mean good? Only God's good. <laughs> so he, you know, the, the guy's trying to ask a very specific question to kind of get in Jesus' graces and get the answer he wants. And mm -hmm. Jesus starts playing with him mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of throws him off kilter. And so he asks, well, what, what do you mean in particular? And so Jesus lists a number of the commandments and what we know as the 10 commandments. Mm -hmm. And the young man, I suspect, breathes a sigh of relief. Well, I, I've done all that. I'm good. Right, yeah. I'm good. I should be ready. I'm ready. All right. Thank you, Jesus. I'm on my way. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I got some other things for you. <laughs> Jesus then, so there is this tension that we have in the scriptures between righteousness and wealth. Mm. And, you know, there's a segment of the church today that likes to kind of turn that around and talk about how if you're righteous, you become wealthy. Right. The prosperity gospel. In right. fact, where we're sitting right now, there's a church less than a mile away that I've been to that I heard that kind of sermon. Mm. And and so and I think there are a lot of Christians who think that somehow God's blessing comes in material wealth. Right. And so this man is really dealing with this tension and Jesus is not relieving his tension. He's heightening it. Yeah. Because the next thing he says to him is, well, okay, that's great. You've done the commandments. Now, just one other thing. Take all you have and give it away. In fact, give it to the poor. And there are a couple things in that that I think are important. He says specifically to give the money to the poor, mm -hmm. which also, if he's read his Hebrew Bible, aligns quite closely with what is often spoken of, particularly in the prophets, because wealth yeah. was often the means that people to where people gained power, which, which they then turned against other people. Right. And <clears throat> I've been thinking about this particular part of the passage for a while. I, I read a book not long ago by a man named Edgar Villanueva, Villanueva uh, 
the book is called Decolonizing Wealth. And Villanueva mm-hmm. works for one of the major foundations uh, that give you know, philanthropic foundations in the country. And he was challenging his peers and by extension, those of us who have wealth right. to not just give your money away, but to give it in a way that really empowers and lifts up oppressed communities. And he also said that you should have, you should do it not just out of some largesse, but it really ought to come out of relationships. And so he was challenging uh, the philanthropic community. And I took it as also applying to people like myself that our giving must be tied to our relationships with people. And, you know, in our society, we're so divided mm-hmm. by race by, uh, and by wealth um, that uh, this, this is really a challenge. And so the, the young man is told to give his money uh, to the poor, but not in a charitable way, I don't think, but in a way that really, really empowers and puts him in relationship with those who are poor, which then leads to the, the third thing mm-hmm. that he says to him. After you've done that, then come follow us. Come be with us. Be part of our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that wealth does, particularly in our society, is it's, it's a means of separating ourselves. And so you find gated communities uh, all, all through the metropolitan area where people have basically said, you know, we are, we are other. You are other than us. Right, and, right. And you also see developments that say you shouldn't come in here unless you have a certain certain economic level. Now, usually it's mm-hmm. based on the, the price of that the you're going to house, gonna house right, right. and only certain people can pay. But it's a way of saying we're, we're special. Right. And we don't want your kind, whatever that <laughs> is, to be a part of that. Well, that was uh, one thing I definitely learned uh, in school, how a lot of these uh, suburban communities got developed and intentionally wrote into a lot of the bylaws, who they wanted to exclude. But then in practical ways, they also built things like uh, streets with no sidewalks so that you had to have a car in order to to come into it. So that's a an easy way to separate people. Well, we don't, if you can't afford a car, don't come here. Well, and <laughs> if you don't have a car, you can't get to the grocery store. Right. You can't get to can't get the drugstore. So all you don't want to live All there. the things you need. Right. I mean, it was really built. Suburbs uh, were really built to exclude both on the basis of race and on the basis of class. Right. And and so this this young man is being, you know, he was just kind of hoping to get some answer that make him feel good about himself. And what instead Jesus did was, first of all, try to free him from his from his wealth and his attachment to wealth. And you know, mm-hmm. I grew up in a uh, upper middle class community in, in the church and this was the kind of and i had a pastor who was not, not afraid to bring up these difficult topics hmm. and oh that's good my father who was a businessman we would have roast preacher many many times after church because he was <laughs> so upset sometimes some <laughs> things my dad said about i mean preacher said about business or about well mm. but often you know people would say well it's not it's not money that's the root of evil it's the love of money mm-hmm. and that's a very fine fine line that I think often we we try to draw when in fact uh, often the money we have is not something we own but rather owns us mm-hmm. and I because of where I grew up I know you know people that I grew up with who are 
extremely wealthy. And they are by far the most defensive and private and scared that, that people are going to take their money somehow. Mm, yeah. Whether it's the government or the poor or some anybody. organization, anybody. And, and so um, that says to me that very often wealth gets us before we get wealth. Right. And, even, and even poor people can be caught up in that, that, that they think that the answers to all their problems is to make a lot of money. Right. And, and, uh, and so, and that's not to say that money is important, that we need things, we need money to live, but, um, we can get captured by the illusion and, and really the lie that wealth somehow brings, uh, happiness, that wealth somehow brings peace, that wealth somehow brings a, a sense of well-being when mm -hmm. in fact, that's not always the case. Well, that, that's something I, I do a workshop, um, where I have people write in, uh, write a sentence and they have to fill in the blank and say, if I had more blank, my life would be better. Um, typically it is money uh, that they'll fill in. Um, and then I'll have them write a paragraph of what they think will make their life better. And usually it has something to do with money or material possessions or something that money can buy in some uh, way, shape or form. Um, and then I say, now I want you to rewrite that and put God in the place where you put everything else. Um, and I, when I look at this text, I see Jesus kind of doing that here because you notice that he listed six commandments, but there are 10 that we know of. Well, the first four have everything to do with loving God. And the next six have everything to do with how we treat other people. So he felt like he was okay because he was treating other people well. He loved his parents. He, you know, didn't kill people. He didn't commit adultery. Like he had all of that down pat. But when it came to loving God, he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Money was his God. And so Jesus is challenging to say, yes, I, he's like you said, he's kind of playing with them because he only lists for uh, six of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and it's just a coincidence that the, the first four uh, about keeping the Sabbath, about loving God with your whole heart, about not um, taking the Lord's name in vain. All of those uh, things that have to do with how we relate to God would then uh, transfer to how we truly treat people. Um, and the poor were one of the people that he probably wasn't treating as well as he wanted to. Uh, and God had a heart for mm -hmm. the poor. So he says, great, well, then there's nothing left to do but sell everything you have. It's one thing. <laughs> and the one thing he couldn't do. Yeah. If, you know, this reason I chose this passage was that I've been really wrestling with this for the last two or three years. Um, I came in, I came into some money that I did not expect. Mm -hmm. um, it was a lot more money than I'd ever had. And, and, Prior to that, you know, I kind of worked out my plan as to how was, I was going to support ourselves, my wife and I, as mm -hmm. we move into our uh, retirement years. And then all of a sudden, I had this extra pile of money that I hadn't built into the plan, right? right. Now, you know, when I learned of this and I talked to some people about, well, you could do this, you could do that, you could buy that, you could buy this. 
And, and yet I kept coming back to this passage because it spoke to me in a way that it hadn't prior to that. Mm. Because I truly, without any effort on my own part, had become wealthy yeah. in ways that I could not imagine. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I needed to really wrestle with this passage. And so, you know, I've committed myself to take the, the large chunk of a large percentage of that. And over the next however many years I have in my life to give it away. Mm -hmm. But after reading Villanueva's, Villanueva's book, I also realized that it wasn't just about giving to charity, getting mm -hmm. a nice tax break, mm -hmm. but it was really about seeking out people in my circle. And as you know, and because of what I've taught and things I've been involved with, you know, I do have lots of relationships throughout the city and even beyond with folks who are really living at the grassroots, helping the, the most desperate. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and the most needy in our society and in our world. And so it then made me realize that how I give and who I give to really has to come out of my own personal involvement with that, with the larger community. Mm -hmm. And because of what I said earlier about how wealth sort of separates us out, it's not an easy thing to do. No. It's not an easy <laughs> thing to do. And even, you know, even things like investments, are not an easy thing to do. As you know, yeah. I went to several financial advisors before I came to you asking, do you do socially responsible investing? And yeah. they looked at me like I had three <laughs> heads. Right. And they tried to convince me, oh, you just got to get really wealthy and then you give it away. And I said, no, I don't want, I want to do well while I earn whatever money. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, even looking within the funds that have to ask the question, what, what are those funds doing for the poorest of the poor? Right. And and not just in our own society, but around the world. So it's it's really been something that has um, been li I've been living with, and and that's why I want to talk about it because yeah. I suspect there are other folks out there who have more money than they need. Um, and so I really start from the standpoint of what do I need to live? Mm -hmm. What 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 is necessary? Mm -hmm. And then whatever else is left over is dis is discretionary. It's like it's not mine. And in fact, none of it's mine. Right. And that's I think where the where the uh, where Jesus is going with this is that and, and the disciples, you know, they're kind of shocked because <laughs> here they thought they had a benefactor coming with them. Right. 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 Um, but I'm sure they also had bought into this idea of righteousness and wealth going together. Well, and and I think in their defense, probably for good reason. Um, if you're in reading, depending on how you interpret the book of Deuteronomy, um, but there were correlations made between doing well and blessings from God. Um, now, you know, in our modern context, we would read that in a probably completely different way than they would have read it. But there was some level of connection between, you know, uh, God's favor and your condition. Um, now that is also saying that, that there, God was also making provision for the poor, even when he said that, 
mm-hmm. um, in telling people that they were blessed to be a blessing. Like even Israel themselves, he's constantly saying, I am blessing you that you will bless the nations. Um, so even when the wealth and the blessings of God are correlated with favor from God, it is actually not even for you. Mm-hmm. It is for other people. Well, and, and also I think one thing we often do in our American cultures, we tend to individualize things. Yeah. Whereas, as you point out, the blessing was for the, the whole the people. nation, yeah. Uh, and and so, um, so we, we read that passage in Deuteronomy as if it's, oh, if I do good, then I will, mm-hmm. I will be blessed. But, you know, if you read through the Old Testament, you know, there were times when people who didn't do anything wrong they weren't had, blessed. To, had to suffer <laughs> because somebody else was doing doing injustice. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so it's it's yeah. And I think and I think to a certain degree, Jesus was pushing back even against that mentality mm-hmm. and really saying, no, uh, I have come to be among the poor and the oppressed. And that's the standard that we're operating on now mm-hmm. and, and not some other standard that you may they may have inherited because, and, 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 you know, he was continually confounding his, his disciples and the Pharisees. I mean, they just couldn't figure this guy out. Right. And right. this, you know, this, this rich young man was, he got the same treatment. It's like, mm-hmm. I think I got this. And Jesus started messing with him. And, right. and I think Jesus does mess with us in a good way, in mm-hmm. a good way. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that also kind of, Pulling out a little bit further, when I think about the economic inequity and disparity in our in our culture and even in the world at large, I mean, there are people who are literally fleeing their homes because they cannot survive there because of climate change or because of mm. poverty, uh, as well as violence. But right. um, and then there are others who are amassing tremendous wealth. Um, at the expense of many of these people, right? And and certainly in our own country, we're right in the middle of a of a huge tension, not only within our society, but as we have all these desperate people coming to our border saying we need asylum, we need help, we're being confronted with the poor right at our doorstep yeah. in a way that many many people find very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want to look away or they want to put up a wall. But I think that inequity. No, it's not just an economic issue. It's really a moral issue. And it's really a spiritual issue that, that I think is plaguing our society in ways that most people want to deny. Unfortunately, most, many, many Christians want to deny. Yeah. Uh, I read this morning, just this morning, some preacher somewhere out west who goes around touting his $5,000 sneakers. And, oh. Yeah, it, you can. It's in the paper today. <laughs> Preacher with five thousand dollars sneakers. Uh, I, and, will, I will Google it. <laughs> and and you know, there's, so there's the whole there's this whole uh, segment of the church that is is still preaching this prosperity gospel. And um, the article, the author of the article, made the point that while he's talking about his five thousand dollars sneakers and his fancy car and his big house, he's taking from money from people who maybe not, can't pay their light bill. Yeah. And, and so, and to me, that is such heresy um, and so unethical and so immoral and so unchristian 
mm-hmm. that and how how a pastor like that preaches this passage if he preaches it at all mm-hmm. uh, would confound me uh, so that you know my little part in trying to do my little do what I can is really got to be something that those of us who have achieved wealth, whether it's be through our own blood, sweat, and tears, or through inheritance, or through winning the lottery, or some other means, um, we we really need to think about what are the moral and ethical obligations that we have in a society, in a world where people are going to bed hungry every night. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that if you if you're not you know someone with a lot of wealth or means, um, some people might be tempted to skip over this passage as if it doesn't apply. Um, but this this tells us, I think specifically, it tells us what's required to enter the kingdom of God has nothing to do with your economic state. Right. Um, and that is something that I think is important to note as we have this segment of the church that is saying that if you are going to reflect the kingdom, then you need to look like this. Um, You need to be amongst these people. You need to, um, you know, Jesus is a king and you need to reflect uh, a king's glory, um, except our king was crucified and beaten and poor and wandering around and called himself homeless. So I'm not sure if that jives well with the prosperity gospel of sorts, but. But it also, but the way I think about that, you know, for those who are, uh, who who really struggle to pay the light bill, Mm -hmm. pay the rent. um, I think what you just described in terms of Jesus being the homeless one, the suffering servant, the, the one who struggles, it says that you are in some ways closer to God than the, the guy with the mansion on the hill. Right. And, and, I, and, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And Matthew is blessed in the spirit. People want to argue that. But right. if you're poor in spirit, you're probably poor, too. So, <laughs> so and this is not to glorify poverty. I mean, I'm sure most people would, would say, well, I wish I didn't have that blessing. Right. right. <laughs> but it, it does say that you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the message to those who have, have greater wealth is a somewhat different message, which is more like the message this young man got, which is, what are you doing with your money that's really making a difference in mm-hmm. the world and you live? How, and how is that money separating you from the people in your community that you need to know? Yeah. You need to be a part of. Um, you know, there's this myth of self-sufficiency mm-hmm. that comes with wealth. And Jesus is kind of turning the tables on this young man and saying, no, that's not what's going to make you self-sufficient. Following me and being part of this community is just going to be what really makes the difference in your life. And, and mm-hmm. you said it's the kind of life we live, not whether we're wealthy or poor or somewhere in between. Right. And I think that that probably is one of the reasons why the disciples were so surprised by this when Jesus said, oh, it's really hard for the rich to enter. And they're like, well, who can go in there? Because this is, this is insane. If, if rich people, if it's hard for rich people to get in, um, because we do elevate the wealthy in a way that is unhealthy spiritually. 
we elevate people who have money, assuming that they have more favor, that they've worked harder, that they're more, um, you know, closer to God. And Jesus is saying it's hard for those people to enter because money can easily become an idol. And America is a perfect example of that. I think um, we idolize the wealthy in ways that are spiritually just completely unhealthy uh, and make a lot of assumptions about who they are and what they do. We, you know, we're probably a lot quicker to forgive a wealthy criminal than we are a poor one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the wealthy one might not even be a criminal. Right. He would we, get off. Yeah, they, it well, would that's, get that's off. That's been proven. You know, there was, what is that uh, disease, affluenza, mm-hmm. that the guy got? He, You know, his his wealth just caused so much of his uh, poor decision-making that we're willing to forgive that. Um, and so we, we, like the disciples, might wonder, um, you know, well, who can get in if, if the wealthy can't? If we're preaching this text as Jesus um, we're saying it. Well, it even raises the question of what is a blessing. You know, I've pretty much most of my life I've worked for nonprofits, and, and for the most part, Christian nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And I, I get really tired. You know, when a big gift comes in, or you know, people, say, oh, the Lord has blessed us. But when <laughs> things aren't going well, no one's saying the Lord is blessing. Yeah. And and I keep wanting to say, well, maybe this this tightening of our belt that we're experiencing is God's blessing or God's message to us in a way that we don't want to hear. Right. And, and so we have, <laughs> we've tied blessing even in our nonprofit world with somehow God's favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when in fact, sometimes maybe God has to get our attention. And so the money doesn't come in the way we thought. Right. Right. And that sometimes built, I think having money reveals what's already there. Uh, as well as being poor, mm-hmm. uh, reveals what's already there. And whether that be, you know, our depravity <laughs> in general, or it's, you know, the truth of, or your faith, you know, what do you actually trust in? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, we don't know that until we're squeezed into a place where we have to make choices that are going to reflect that faith. Uh, and it could come by the blessing of a lot of money or the blessing of a little bit of money or none at all. I tell you that, you know, when I, when I started out as a, a youth worker and well, this was 1975. So months of money, but it, I was, I was paid $400 a month, a month, a month. $400 a month. Now, you know, that might be a thousand dollars a month now. Yeah. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> wow. But you know, so, I didn't have much, but it was really an amazing experience how I had to trust God to provide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to sell a car mm. to pay some bills and I had to forego some things. But every once in a while, somebody who was in my circle would provide whether it was a meal or a new shirt or yeah. <laughs> as a way of saying, you're not alone. And I look back on those times some of the, the most spiritually rich for me. And even most of the time I was a pastor, you know, the, the, I was in small churches, so there wasn't much. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we were happy. We, we did fine. And um, it's funny, when I went to Eastern, people were complaining about how they weren't paid as much. And I looked at my first paycheck, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> 
So it's all a matter of what you're used to, you know? <laughs> it's true. It's all relative. <laughs> and I think this is part of the the reality of the kingdom because the kingdom is not individualized. Uh, it is a communal place. Right. It is a, a place of community. It is a place where we share. It is a place where... Um, we are equal because we worship one thing and one thing only, and that's God. Um, and the invitation to that, when you're wealthy, you tend to, like you said, associate with people who are like you because it's comfortable. You can talk about things that affect, you know, the people like you. Um, and I remember I grew up in a, you know, relatively poor, a lower, lower um, middle class community. And um, if you wanted to, you know, do well and to get um, out of the community or out of your financial situation, then quite often people tell you that, you know, you got to let go of the relationships that you've had there in order to embrace those um, of where you're going. And it's part of the American mantra, I think, also to, you know, always focus on where you're going and not where you've been. Um, to, you, you have to let go in order to elevate. And I think that that is absolutely true um, for the most part. I think it is true that um, you're going to have to let go of, of harmful and hurtful relationships or, or people um, that are going to keep you from going in. But then you have to identify what that actually means and who those people are that are keeping you from entering the kingdom. Because sometimes we hold on to relationships that are keeping us from entering the kingdom because they're seen as relationships that are valuable for our status. Um, and we don't want to let go of those things as well. So um, letting go of the lifestyle that you desire um, when God is actually calling you higher, when God is calling you to this new standard, when God is calling you to let go of the things that are familiar and the people and the places that are familiar to you in order to enter into something that's much greater. Um, and the greater might not look like the people you came from. It might not look like the people um, who have a lot of money and you want to be uh, hanging around. Uh, it might not look like uh, what you, you'd imagine, but the blessing of it um, is promised to be so much greater. As a matter of fact, Jesus does say later on in this text, uh, when the disciples were uh, aghast at um, who can enter if the rich can't enter in. Um, and then Peter says, he said, well, well, we left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it? <laughs> Which is a logical question. Like, what am I getting out of this, Jesus? Um, and Jesus replied, yes, you have followed me. In the recreation of the world, when the Son of Man will rule gloriously, you who have followed me will also rule, starting with the 12 tribes of Israel. And not only you, but anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, whatever, because of me, will get it all back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. This is the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last and the last first. So there is a promise that we are given if we do let go of what we deem to be success and money and status and power, let go of that and enter into this kingdom because you're going to get so much more 
in addition to eternal life, you're also going to get um, something else that you probably otherwise wouldn't have had access to or wouldn't even know to pray for or to desire. So I think that this is um, something that we're called to. Yes, we're called to let go, um, but we're also called to embrace something else. So there's a there's a letting go of one thing, one type of community where we're comfortable, where everybody looks like us, where everybody acts like us, where everybody has what we have, um, and we're just comfortable in that space. And then there's this embracing of something that's so much bigger than just uh, what we have on our own. All right. Well, Drick, I uh, really appreciate you coming by and uh, dropping knowledge on us. Uh, I don't know about <laughs> that, but it's been fun. <laughs> it's good to uh, to always hear other people's perspective, uh, particularly on familiar texts. And um, thank you for also um, discussing the tension that you feel yourself in uh, how this uh, text speaks to you at this season of life, because uh, this is something that we wanted to talk about is the tension of this. Cause I think, um, you know, as a financial educator, Ader, as a financial planner, um, and even as a writer um, in writing my book, I'm always struck by how people make this sound so easy. Mm. Like all you have to do is this, um, you know, if you want to be uh, in God's kingdom, it's easy. Just do this, 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 and this. And then I find that life doesn't work that way. Um, that if we're, we're not being real and we end up being like this rich young ruler with this checklist of things and say, well, I've, I've done all of that. Surely I'm in the kingdom. And we forget about those first four commandments that teach us how to love God. Um, and knowing that if we're just after this checklist of things that we won't probably really understand what it takes to love God. And there is going to be some tension. Well, and, you know, we're in the season of Easter right now as we're talking. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how we can, I don't know how people rationally get to the idea of checklist when they're following the guy who ended up dying on a cross. <laughs> and, you know, right, yeah. some of his last words were, not my will, but your will. I mean, to your point, that mm -hmm. it's following God's will. So that, you know, this is, being a Christian is being a follower of Jesus is it's sacrificial. Yeah. And that includes our wealth. Yeah. Yeah. How we handle money. It's it's not always going to be an easy thing. Uh, we will be tempted. We will be tried. We will be tested. We'll probably fail sometimes. Mm -hmm. But uh, one comfort um, that Jesus offered in this was when he when the disciples marveled at how who, who can enter if the rich can't even do it. Um, he said that uh, surely with uh, man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And, you know, uh, back to this new standard being set, um, the standard is so high that we can't reach it. Mm -hmm. And that is the purpose of the Holy Spirit to point out those tensions in our flesh when we're wrestling with what should I do? That's the Holy Spirit there saying, hey, there's some conflict here. Uh, your flesh and your spirit don't agree and they won't agree. <laughs> You're going to have to make some choices. Um, so I do think that it's important to acknowledge the tension um, and to know that we help have help in that tension, that we're not left alone to try to figure it out ourselves and 
you know, we'll mess up and, you know, I didn't do this right or I didn't do that right. I think it's important to let go of the, um, the checklist and the, did I do this right? Did I not do this right? Um, this rich young ruler looking for, you know, his justification, uh, which another translation will say, uh, looking to justify himself, he came. And then uh, he was faced with the question, because even if he called Jesus good, um, Jesus said, only God is good. Um, so if now the person that you're calling good is saying only God is good, you either acknowledge that person as God or you acknowledge that he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> he's not as good as you thought he was. Either way, you're left either rejecting and denying God uh, or you're left with saying that Jesus is a kook and <laughs> he's not as good as you thought. Um, and both are problematic in this guy's case because mm -hmm. he walked away from God. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that we have to re remember that these are the choices that we're being asked to make too. Uh, are we going to walk away from God um, if we do call him good? Um, and this good God has told us that we are going to have a problem with wealth and letting it go. And it takes um, the willingness to do that. Uh, and Cause I don't think this is going to be a blanket text for everybody, but certainly you have to be willing to let it go. Um, if you identify this as something that is keeping you from loving God and loving others. Well, and I think some people might read this passage and more closely identify with the rich young man like I did. But other people might identify more closely with the disciples. Like, what? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. What do you mean? <laughs> uh, so, you know, it also, I think, has to do with where you place yourself in the text. Yeah. And, and at and, what point in your life? And at what point in your life? And maybe you're in many places. Yeah. You're, you might be all over, and one day you're the disciples, and the next day you're the rich young ruler. <laughs> um, so again, thank you for your insight. Um, thank you for listening, and stay tuned. We will be back with another episode of Seeking First. Um, again, Shana Harvey from Insight Total Stewardship. Looking forward to being with you again. <laughs>